What a great time to pass the peace of the Lord with one another as family members. This morning, we welcome to our pulpit Dr. Michael O. Michael is the founder and president of Christ Bible Seminary in Nagoya, Japan, and serves with Mission to the World of the Presbyterian Church in America. Michael, I see you there, and um, before you come up, how about introducing your family to us? Uh, Sure. Um, Could you stand up? Uh, My wife, Pearl, uh, her parents, and our five children. We have four girls and a baby boy who's in the nursery, and they are two, four, six, eight, and ten years old. Come on up. Welcome. Um, Thank you. you planned well, 2468. That's wow. 10. Um, that's great. Hey, Michael, um, I'm going to interview you just real briefly here as way of introduction. Um, when did you come to know the Lord? Uh, I actually grew up in a Christian home uh, in a Presbyterian church, and, uh, uh, but I'm actually the fifth generation of Christian uh, on my father's side. So our background is in uh, Korea. And on my father's side, um, I would be the fifth, and then our children would be the sixth generation of Christians, and perhaps I made a confession of faith when I was about 12 years old. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Amazing how God works through the generations. Mm -hmm. Um, How about, um, I know that you have a handful of degrees from Ivy League schools, um, Penn, Harvard. Um, When did you plan to go into the ministry? Good question. Um, I always knew... Um, especially when I was in college, um, that I wanted to live a life that made a difference for eternity. And I understood that uh, as I invested my life in God's word and in people, there would be eternal impact, eternal fruit. Uh, So I was interested in the word and people uh, during college and kind of made the decision to go into formal ministry, uh, my wife and I, in terms of a commitment to uh, helping to reach the unreached peoples of the world. Um, I guess towards the end of college, um, and then having a conversation with my uh, father about that interest. And that conversation went... Didn't go so well. (laughs) Um, But God used that to um, help my parents to understand why we would kind of forsake the American dream to pursue God's glory. And uh, they're wonderfully supportive now, and we've recruited actually my in-laws to return to Japan with us when we end this furlough. Um, Is it common for Koreans to go to Japan for Um, for ministry or for other reasons? I think Koreans uh, either uh, hate the Japanese or love the Japanese. I don't think there's much in between. And that's because Japan occupied Korea from 1910 to 1945, and it was one of the most horrible episodes of kind of Asian history. Uh, But there are many Christians in Korea, and many who pray every single day for the salvation of the Japanese. Awesome. Tell us about, um, just real briefly, what your present ministry in Japan is. Uh, we, uh, the, the, the core of our ministry that was started about um, five years ago is Christ Bible Seminary, and we train uh, future leaders for the Japanese church, future pastors, church planters, missionaries, evangelists, etc. Um, and we also have a church planting ministry called All Nations Fellowship, and um, a ministry called um, Heart and Soul, which is a quarterly outreach to young people in the heart of the city. And we just recently were able to purchase uh, this month We'll be purchasing a new uh, building uh, in downtown Nagoya, 
uh, about 300 yards from Nagoya Station. And uh, hopefully, if you visit our table, the Japan table, you can see there are network magazines there, which is MTW's publication. And we're the front uh, cover story uh, for this, this issue. So please pick one up. There's a one, I think, enough maybe for each family. Great story of how God provided for that. Close some other doors and open that door. Thank you for being here with us today. Let me pray as mm, you preach. You. Father, thank you for this time together. We simply pray that your spirit would come now. Empower your servant. Speak boldly um, to the hearts of your people today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as a, a kid growing up in the Philadelphia area, I had an evening ritual, uh, going to bed and uh, seeing the poster on my wall with the Lord's Prayer on it. And uh, sometimes I'd pray it. Uh, I'd do my thing, usually sideways on the bed. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, da 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 And then I would just wait for blessing. You know, I had, I had done my duty, my incantation to the divine, and now he owed me. Definitely going to win my ice hockey game tomorrow. Just waiting for that college acceptance letter. The divine had been put on notice. So the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most beautiful prayer, but is so often just rambled through instead of understood and embraced and truly prayed and truly lived. And as we ramble through that prayer, we miss out on the opportunity to not just understand about prayer, uh, but about the Lord's teaching on life, on life. So let me read uh, from the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and that will be our text for today. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So allow me to pose a foundational question. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? What makes life worth living? One way to look at this question of what the purpose of life is and should be for the Christian uh, is to see what Jesus taught us in how to pray. Jesus' foundational prayer reflects the foundational, essential Christian life. Let me say this again. In Jesus' foundational, essential, this is model prayer, we can find tremendous insight, perhaps even call it a summary, of Jesus' teaching on the foundational, essential Christian life and purpose. You know, there's a basic biblical principle that we can see a little bit later on in this chapter, in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then similarly, what you pray about and for, there your heart is also. Your prayers are a reflection of your heart. So if we want to understand the Lord's heart, the Lord's heart, the Lord's treasure We find it in the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's commonly understood that there are two parts to the Lord's Prayer, the first half being the first three petitions, and then the second half being the second three petitions. 
I think I agree with the structure. But I want to make a suggestion as to how these two parts, that the, the, these two parts relate to each other and how these two parts relate to each other. And I'll share a little bit more about that later. Uh, so let's dig into the text, if you have your Bible, so you can keep them open. Our Father. Uh, first of all, this is a, a, a shockingly direct and personal addressing of God in prayer. And I hope you can remember that and grasp that, especially for those of you who have been a Christian for a long time. As Father, that we address God as Father. And then secondly, Jesus shockingly incorporates us into his sonship, our Father. Now, if there was anyone who could claim exclusive right to address God as my Father exclusively, it was Jesus, right? In teaching us to pray to God as our Father, Jesus invites us into corporate familial identity. Our Father in heaven. Now here we see in heaven that there is an overwhelming, undeniable otherness of God. God in heaven. That God has perspective, heavenly perspective, that we do not share. He has unbelievable reach. He has grand exaltation, heavenly authority. And to this God, we are taught to pray. And we can see in the first three petitions, the first half, prayers for worship, kingdom, and obedience. Hallowed be your name. Worship. Your kingdom come. Kingdom. Your will be done. Obedience. So these are three distinct, but also very much related petitions. Uh, first, worship. Hallowed be your name. So here, purpose is now revealed. The first petition that Jesus teaches us to pray is toward the glory and worship of our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. It's the New Testament flip side of the third commandment. May your name not be taken in vain, but instead may it be treated as holy. It's a heartfelt prayer that God would be worshipped and adored. It's the prayer that our affection for God would compete with no other, with nothing else. We are to pray starting on the individual level, for a holy and stark, evident, undeniable contrast between the hallowing of God in our lives and the worship, adoration, or affection toward anyone or anything else. So individually, we are to pray and live out, hallowed be your name. But personal individual doxology, worship of God, is not enough. God's purposes are global, and God's people should have a holy dissatisfaction with the worshiplessness of the world. That two and a half billion people in the world have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus, 
And those two and a half billion people do not worship or hallow the blessed and worthy name of the one who created them. Hallowed be your name, not just personal, but global. Not just doxological, but petitional. Petitional. This is not just a doxological statement of praise saying, Hallowed be your name. It is a petition. It is a cry to God to mobilize, to work in power, to bring about the worship of his name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Uh, this is very much related to the, to the first petition. As each individual hallows and worships God, the kingdom grows. As each family hallows and worships God, the kingdom grows. As each nation hallows and worships God, the kingdom grows. Your kingdom come. Do it, Lord. We can't. Help us. That is our cry. Jesus teaches us to pray kingdom-ushering, kingdom-calling prayers. So how far have we come toward the building of the kingdom of God? We've seen tremendous, tremendous advances toward the global expansion of the kingdom of God. Christianity today is a more global faith than in any time in history. There are literally Christians in every single nation on earth. There's been tremendous kingdom growth in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Christianity today is stronger in the southern hemisphere than in the north, and stronger in the east than in the west. And this growth is a part of a a very important message, that Christianity is not just an American religion, and missions is not west to east. Missions is from everywhere to everywhere reflecting both the reality of the global church and also the global goal of our faith. Today, nearly 70% of the world's missions force is from the majority or non-Western world. Evangelical Christianity is the fastest-growing religion in the world today. Praise God. But there is much work to be done. According to the Joshua Project, there are 6,800 unreached people groups in the world today that represent 2.7 billion people. My mission field, Japan, is the largest unreached nation in the world. And so we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come among the 6,800 unreached people groups in the world. Lord, mobilize your church toward that end. And for the building of God's kingdom, for the hallowing of God's name, we pray, your will be done. It's the prayer for God's revealed will to be done. And the essential way that God's will is done and honored is when his people obey. When we obey, when we live out the purposes of God in our lives, when we live for God in every aspect of our lives, with love for God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, worship, kingdom, obedience.
So from the first three petitions, uh, we see that the purpose of life is to passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. To passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. This starts on the individual level, also includes family and corporately in the church locally, and it culminates globally. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is this but the passionate prayer and pursuit of global and eternal worship of and living for God? Now let's move on to the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which has been described by some commentators as uh, focusing on personal needs. But as I talked about before, I, I believe that these two sections in the Lord's Prayer are much more than just two sections with two different themes Uh, but that the two sections are very much related to each other. Um, Commentators, good commentators, suggest that uh, the first three petitions focus on the preeminence of God, while the, the final three focus on personal needs. But there's more than just that. Um, In the first half, Jesus teaches us to, to cry to God to accomplish, even through our prayers and lives, God's purpose for global and eternal worship. And the second part is not just a prayer for our personal needs, but it is a prayer for provision of all that is needed for such purpose of life laid out in the first section. Let me say this again. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for provision of all that is needed for the purpose of life, which is to passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. So the second half of the prayer is intimately related to the first half. It's not just that the first half is a big picture and the second half is the, the little picture and the first half is the spiritual and the second half is the earthly or that the first half is corporate and the second half is individual. No! The second half is prayer for the provision of all that is needed for the purposes expressed in the first half. It starts off, give us this day our daily bread. A prayer for our basic needs. Our basic physical needs. Towards the life that passionately prays for and pursues the global and eternal worship of and living for God, we have basic needs. Bread. And then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The prayer for forgiveness and the power to forgive others. The daily nurture and exercise of our salvation and the strengthening of our relationship with God. It's a reminder in addition to our basic physical need of our basic spiritual need. It's a reminder of our sinfulness and also of God's mercy. It's a reminder of the gospel That is the very foundation of the purpose of God emphasized in the first half of the Lord's Prayer. And then lead us not into temptation. Temptation. 
Uh, this seems key. Uh, between our individual salvation and the pursuit of global eternal worship of God lies temptation. So what, what is this here? Perhaps for some, that temptation is the worshiping of the hallowing of God's very provision. Daily bread hoarded like the Israelites hoarding manna in the wilderness. Perhaps the temptation includes the idolizing of God's spiritual blessings as well. The idolizing of grace and spiritual comfort. And this idolatry of Christian comfort is something that I personally understand. It's a comfort of, of God's grace and love. The comfort of my own salvation. The comfort of a marvelous, guaranteed future. But rather than looking at our own blessed circumstances... And then the unfortunate circumstances of others who are without Christ and saying, thank God I'm not them. We need to recognize that our circumstances are by the grace of God alone and pray for mercy that we avoid the temptations of our blessed circumstances. Have you ever for, for a moment considered the absolute mercy and blessedness that you were born into your circumstances. You could just as easily have been born in the slums of New Delhi or as a son of a Shinto priest. Mercy and grace. And if you had been born in the slums of New Delhi or as a son of a Shinto priest... How would you want the people in this room to respond? How would you want them to respond? To extend that mercy and grace even to the ends of the earth. To not just pray on your bed, hallowed be your name, but to do something about it and to live it out. You know, I, I, I admit myself personally as well, it's, it's so easy, it's so easy for, for Christians to pray for and to live for these verses in the second half. Skipping the first section that lays out the very purpose of God for our lives, God's purpose in the world, you know, too many Christians have made the second half, the provision of God, their purpose. We live for material blessing. We enjoy our salvation. We pursue Christian living. We desire protection from evil. But these are not to be seen in isolation. They are all to be in support of and in surface toward the fulfilling of the purposes of God revealed in the first section. Are you living the life that Jesus desires for his people? Are you living the life that Jesus taught us to pray for and pursue or do you, like myself, find yourself falling to the temptation of seeking the pain-free Christian life, the self-centered Christian life, the monastic Christian life, the this-world Christian life, the worshiplessness of this world doesn't bother me, Christian life, the I-have-my-own-agenda Christian life? 
Now, now I, I recognize that this may be a hard, a hard sermon for many of you to hear. But I, I do earnestly, honestly, I want you to know that there is a great big God out there with a great big and glorious eternal global plan and that you have the opportunity as being a part of the church of Jesus Christ to be a part of that, to have your life count for what will last for eternity. And Jesus has taught his disciples to pray towards and to purpose our lives towards such ends. Um, where, do, where do we, how do we move on from here? Where, where do we go? Let me just suggest a few things. Number one, just look at your life honestly. And we should be doing that every single day, right? What does your life say about the purpose or the goal of your life? In, in how you use your time, in how you spend your money, in what drives you, in your passions, in what you pray about, in how you view the world. And then, you know, as we do that honestly, I think there's nothing to do after that but repent, right? Repent. And may we not talk just casually about, yeah, you know, in this and that way, my life is out of line with the purposes of God. Um, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, may we, ne- may we not take any sin lightly. Our response to sin, to sin is not just resign or, oh well, but Lord God, have mercy. Change me. Turn me away from sin. Turn me toward yourself and your purposes. And then pray, pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. I, I, I hope today we, we recapture the Lord's Prayer because there's no more important prayer that should be a part of your life that you should understand and grasp and love and be passionate about and that you should form your life around. Pray, 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 pray the prayers of Scripture back to God, this one and others. Pray God's purposes back to Him. May God's agenda, your agenda, God's passions, your passions. And pray for the world. Pray for the world. Hallowed be your name in Japan. May your kingdom come in North Africa. Your will be done in China. This is a ministry. Don't underestimate the power of prayer for global missions. This is not a specialized ministry. If you are a part of the church, you are called to that ministry. Every single time you pray, hallowed be your name. And next, just live it out. Live it out. Live out the passions and the purposes of God. Live it out. There's nothing more important, right? How... Invest in God's purposes with the whole of your life. Invest in God's purposes with the whole of your life, in prayer and life. And I think this kind of starts with the basic question of, how are we to enjoy life properly? It's such a, it's such a basic principle that's so simple, but it's also really easy to forget. And let me just suggest this, very simple. Every gift of God is to be enjoyed as from God and not like a God. Okay? Every gift of God is to be enjoyed as from God and not like a God. That everything is to be enjoyed and, and that is enjoyed and that captures your affection be enjoyed theistically, Christocentrically. 
that every blessing be recognized as a blessing from God and every resource mobilized towards his purposes. So, for example, music. Uh, my f- good friend is the concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And, and with music, music can be enjoyed atheistically or secularly without any reference to God at all. And it was such a blessing uh, when my friend David and some other Christian members of the Philadelphia Orchestra, they did a, a benefit concert, two benefit concerts for us. And after the first, um, David, after his encore, had tears in his eyes and his wife kind of just was next to us. He says, I've never seen David cry in a concert. And, I, and I, I'd like to think that for the first time, like he could understand in some depth what it meant to enjoy and employ music Christocentrically. And not just Christocentrically, but even missionally. And that's how we should all be enjoying our lives. Whether you're an architect or a doctor or a musician or an athlete, whatever it is, enjoy it theistically as a gift from God, not worshiping it like a God. Keeping that perspective, enjoying it doxologically, that it should be cause for worship and enjoying it missionally. That whatever profession you do, whatever it is that you do, that it serves God's purpose. That it, 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 that it moves towards the praise of our God. And I always tell people, there's not a single job or profession that cannot impact the mission field. Either your career in an unreached nation, or to do something that's short, short term, and to make a contribution. Um, and even if you, your job doesn't quite fit so well, do any of you speak English? <laughs> a few. Um, that is a tool that God can use in the mission field. I mean, it's so, so simple. But so simple. That's what life is about. God has gifted you. God has blessed you. Enjoy those things theistically, doxologically, missionally. All the blessings, the provision, use those provisions towards the purpose of God and the purpose of God's global eternal glory. The stewardship of life with all things serving his purposes and passions. And the easiest, clearest, most impacting, and at the same time the hardest way is with money. And I know times are hard with the recession and many are struggling. But in good times and bad times, Jesus' teaching remains the same, right? Teaching doesn't change. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying that money is the best indicator of your heart. Money is the best indicator of your heart, passions, and priorities. And thus, it's the best place to start oftentimes in terms of our worship of God. Uh, $6,300. What is the value of $6,300? I recently had an opportunity to meet a young teacher who is in Cape Town uh, as a volunteer for the 3rd Lausanne Congress. Um, he probably makes you know, $30,000, $40,000 a year. What was the value of $6,300 for him? Uh, this young man apparently was at a conference where, uh, as a college student where I challenged them years back to uh, commit to investing 20% of their salaries in the future. 10% for the church and 10% for missions. And this young man was uh, apparently one of those who made that commitment. 
So um, a few months before Lausanne 3, he emails me. And he says, um, I want to make a donation, uh, and I want to send money for you to distribute to global younger leaders and to make a, a global impact at Lausanne 3. So he had saved up $5,000, part of his 10% for missions, and he wanted it to be used for the greatest global blessing. And some other friends and family members joined in, $6,300 total. What is the value of it for him and for the kingdom of God? So with that $6,300, I was able to purchase laptops and flash drives, which I filled with Christian resources and sermons and books. Fifteen flash drives went into places like Serbia, India, China, Eastern Europe, the Middle East. iPods with audio recording and video capabilities went into Latin America, one to Eastern Europe, another to a Nigerian, and another to Egypt. One laptop went into China, another to Eastern Europe, and another to an African leader who had been praying with his wife for God to provide a laptop. $500 went into Africa, 500 into Mongolia, 500 into Latin America, 500 into the Middle East and North Africa, 500 into Eastern Europe. The value of money is amazing when it's invested in God's kingdom. The returns are eternal. What is the value of $6,300? Priceless. It is stunning how God can use the simplest of giving. A young man with a small salary determining to give just 10% of it away for global missions. What of the resources that God has given you could be used for such glorious, global, eternal impact? Even if you are just a young teacher with a modest salary, you can make significant, global, eternal impact. Imagine what God could do if you were to invest just a portion of what he has given to you for his purposes, his kingdom, and his glory. As a general guideline, if you want my opinion... Um, you could consider, for example, for a salary of up to maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, an appropriate budget of at least 10% for the church and 5% for global missions. And I would say if you're getting over that range of forty dollars to $50,000, that you consider giving 10% or more to the church and 10% or more for reaching the unreached peoples of the world. You have two families in this congregation, the Stewarts and the Walkers, who are trying to make it to the mission field, trying to make it to Japan. Um, that kind of a process for a church of this size should not take this long. If every family just got on board and were to give $10, $20 a month, it would all be taken care of. They could go next week. Um, what if every family in the church gave 10 to 20%? What could Orangewood do? How could Orangewood touch the world and be fulfilling the purposes of God congregationally? So I invite you, after service, come by the Japan table and go up to the walkers or stewards and say, we're going to join. We're going we're gonna to help out, you know, get the information. We want to be involved, and we want to help. And then after you all get finished up, then 
you know, come help us uh, to repair and renovate this new building that the Lord provided. During the real estate bubble, it was worth $20 million. And on the 28th, we will get keys for this building uh, and have, after paying $1.2 million. Uh, but we're trying to raise funds for repairs and renovations. So pray for us. Pray for the ministry ministries that will go on in that building, and you just pray as a family and decide how can you as a family make a difference. There's a man named Alan Barnhart. Um, Alan and his kids have, and his wife have six kids, and when the Barnharts go to McDonald's, they bring their own drinks to save money. Uh, we brought 12 bottles into Disney World <laughs> of water. Um, they live on a very modest middle-class salary. They're a coupon-cutting kind of family like mine. Um, and Alan and his, wife, and his wife did two things. Uh, first of all, they decided that they and their six kids would take a salary equivalent to three and a half times the poverty level. My guess is that their salaries maybe is about $120,000 for their family of eight, averaging $15,000 per person. So if you're a family of four, that would be a salary of $60,000, more than their daily bread, but nothing compared to what they could receive. Alan's the owner of a crane and rigging company that has experienced... 25% growth for 22 straight years and is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And the second thing that they did was give away 99% of the company. And that company now gives tens of mil- has given tens of millions of dollars away, much of it for ministries to the poor and for global missions. Now, I don't presume that many of you here today would have the courage and faith to do something so bold, uh, but I don't doubt God's power to do that work in and through you. And I do know that even if 10% of you were to even make a commitment to pursue God's global glory purposes and to trust in Him for your basic needs, your daily bread, and were to give away 10, 20, 40%, that this world will never be the same. And perhaps for some of you today, you would like to make a commitment to trying such giving and to talk with your husband or wife or kids tonight and say, how would we as a family like to respond to this word from God, from his prayer, his purposes? And I hope it'll make a powerful impact in this congregation and in the world. So the basic principle is that with the more money that you earned, you have increased ability to give and invest in God's kingdom, not merely in absolute dollar amounts, but an increased percentage of your giving. Randy Alcorn says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And John Piper wrote, the way you lay up treasures in heaven, the way you increase your reward and joy in the presence of God is by giving your money away in the name of Christ rather than storing up more and more for yourself. On the second night of the third Lausanne Congress, an 18-year-old high school girl from North Korea shared her story. For those of you who don't know, North Korea is considered the nation where the greatest persecution of Christians is taking place. This young girl was born into a wealthy family, her father an assistant to the North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. Eventually, her father's political fortunes shifted, however, and he was politically persecuted by the North Korean government, and eventually he, his wife, and his daughter escaped to China. In China, a relative brought her family to a church where her parents came to know Jesus Christ. A few months later, however, her pregnant mother died from leukemia. Her father started 
uh, to study the Bible with missionaries, and eventually the Lord gave him a strong desire to become a missionary to North Korea. But in 2001, he was reported as a Christian, was arrested by the Chinese police, and was returned to North Korea. Forced to leave his daughter behind in China, he spent three years in prison. Eventually, he was able to return to China, where he was briefly reunited with his daughter. Soon, however, he, after returning, he gathered up Bibles, having resolved to return to North Korea to share Christ among that hopeless people. In 2006, he was discovered by the North Korean government and was arrested. There has since been no word from him. In all probability, he has been shot to death publicly for treason. There are those around the world who have risked or given their very lives for the purpose of God, the hallowing of God's name. Is it too much to ask that those who are largely out of harm's way give generously and sacrifice financially for the building of the kingdom of God? And finally, some of you in this room may have a distinct, undeniable calling, a growing heart conviction to go into the world as a missionary. At the cry of your heart, the conviction of your life is to invest your everything for God's global purposes. That your heart both prays, Lord, hallowed be your name among the unreached of the world, and your heart conviction compels you to go and invest your life to see that hallowing happen. And if so, I invite you to talk with your family and friends and the leadership of the church, ask for their prayers and counsel, and pursue God's calling with prayer and passion. You will not regret it. In 2007, the North Korean girl, who at the time was not a Christian, was given the opportunity to go to South Korea. While still in China, waiting at the Korean consulate in Beijing uh, to go to South Korea, she saw Jesus in a dream. Jesus, with tears in his eyes, called her by name and said, How much longer are you going to keep me waiting? Walk with me. Yes, you lost your earthly father, but I am your heavenly father, and whatever has happened to you is because I love you. She knelt and prayed to God for the first time and realized that God my father loves me, and cares for me so very much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And she prayed, God, here I am. I just lay down everything and give you my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Please use me as you will. And now God has given her a great love for North Korea. She shares, just as my father was used there for God's kingdom, I now desire to be obedient to God. I want to bring the love of Jesus to North Korea. How many of us so easily choose the path of comfort and safety? The path that is our answer to the question, what is best for me? We seek the provisions of God, but neglect his purposes. And in holding on to those provisions, we halt the advance of his kingdom that Jesus teaches us to pray for and to pursue. So many of those whom God has used to make some of the greatest kingdom impact, 
have been th- those who have not made decisions based on what is best for me. My will be done. They have made decisions based on an undeniable, unshakable, illogical, foolish passion for Jesus Christ and for the building of his global kingdom. For this girl's father, there was a safe path before him. The door was open for him to go to South Korea where there was political freedom and religious freedom where he and his wife could have been safe, where there was daily bread and much, much more, no prison, no persecution, no pain, Instead, he chose the path of danger that led him, Bibles in hand, back to North Korea, the homeland that he loved. And now his daughter has determined to follow that same path. Both father and daughter passionately praying for and pursuing the worship of God among the North Koreans. May God grant us the grace to serve with undeniable, unshakable, illogical, and foolish passion for the hallowing of God's name and the building of his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us towards that end Give us this day our daily bread as you already have. And forgive us our debts as you already have. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen.